You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 92 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Today, we chat with RRP Executive Director Kirsten Green to learn more about the brand new broodmare division of the 2023 Thoroughbred Makeover. We get the inside scoop on what's new on the career side of thoroughbred racing with Anise Montplaisir from Amplified Horse Racing. And last but not least, we catch up with Winnie Morgan Nemeth from New Vocations on the standard bread training tips, and we introduce our adoptable horse of the week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kovach-Bentley from Jamestown, New York, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Kristen, I can't believe it's dark outside and cold. We had our first official snow. Like, yep, we're having we have snow right on now. the ground. And it's Thanksgiving next week, which is the one positive of the three things I just said. <laughs> well, I'm going to have that unpopular opinion that I don't mind the season change. But I think that's because my summers are so bonkers that I'm like, oh, thank gosh, I can kind of take a break. It's like your so. break time. And I just yeah. realized that like Thanksgiving is next week for us. But by the time you're listening to this, it is Black Friday. So happy shopping, everybody. Yeah, I hope you all had a lovely you. Thanksgiving oh, and had plenty to eat and got to see friends and family and spend some time with your horses. Always. And yeah, now you're ready to do some shopping. Exactly, exactly. So it'll be a fun day. You're probably going to be overstuffed and definitely listening to a lot of podcasts as you come out of your food coma. And I appreciate that. And I love that for you. But before we get to enjoy our Thanksgiving, because we're living in the past right now for everyone listening, I have some disappointing news, Kristen. <laughs> oh no. I don't uh, do I want to hear it? I do because I'm you here do. for you no you matter do. what happens. That's what we do at the show. We support each other. <laughs> and all of our equestrian first world problems, which for me includes not being able to ride the standard bread yet. No. Oh, he's going to be so good. He's going to have so much fun. But I was super excited. Time. I like packed all of my English gear because he's trained Western. And I was like, nope, I'm committed to the cause. <laughs> so I, I'm I, like, picturing you driving over there with your helmet on like an eight-year-old going to her first driving Basically, lesson. I had like my boot bag and oh, my helmet no. was tucked nicely. Oh. I picked out like a saddle pad that would be a complimentary color. And, you know, it was all... It was all perfect. He had a, a little dressage bridle I picked out. I'm like, this will fit. I know it will fit because his head's slightly bigger than Astrid's and it's too big for her. So I was like, okay, it's all going to be good. I get there. We had some snow on the ground. I was like, nice. It's not going to be too muddy. This is going to be great. He was not properly trimmed, Kristen. Not no, properly no. trimmed. So good news. My mom had scheduled the farrier the next day. So positive news for Jackson on that end. It looked like the past owners were trimming him more like a quarter horse style. Um, he didn't have a lot of heel like for a smaller footed horse, I should say. 
And he was basically walking on his tiptoes, the poor dude. <laughs> and he just went with it. You know, he's just taking it all in stride. He, he never complains. He's very stoic is what I found out. Yeah, those standardbreds get to be that way. You got to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. They'll be on three legs and they'll be like, I'm fine. I'll keep going. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it was nice having a chance to talk to the farrier who used to be my farrier when I still lived in South Haven. And she's amazing. She got two of my horses in a really good state in just a, just under a year, actually. Um, so it's a long process when you have hoof issues, just for anyone who hasn't had it yet. It is a process and it's a commitment. And uh, so we, we just trimmed his toes down. We're going to leave the heel out and let it grow out. It's always hard in winter because hooves grow slower this time of year, but we're going to give him some supplements to help him out. Luckily, his hooves are rock hard, so we're not dealing with any soft hoof issues. But um, he'll be all right. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe by Christmas I can go out and just put put around and try them out, but we're not going to do anything heavy. And I, I just did snow on the ground. Yeah. You can yeah. just cruise around in the snow and just take it easy and have a nice ride and exactly. get some pretty pictures. And the, it, exactly. I have my nice little Pivo camera. So if I can't convince my mother to spend some time with me in the cold, I at least have that robot cameraman. So we'll get footage, but he was a very sweet boy. He was great for the farrier and, you know, just more great things to come. And Astrid will just have to tolerate me more. She'll have to be my entertainment. <laughs> Lucky her. But Lucky speaking Astrid. of entertainment, you had a much more exciting time than I did. You were at Breeders' Cup. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple of friends. Um, one friend in particular, I've done a few Breeders' Cups with. And we expanded our circle and brought another friend in who's one of my coworkers at our RP. Um, and of course, they're both local and Breeders' Cup this year was at Keeneland. So we had a really nice time. Um, and we always try to make a trip of it, too. So if I'm going to the Kentucky area for either Churchill Downs or Keeneland, you know, we make a, a big weekend out of it. So it's not just the races, but then, you know, we go to the Stallion Open Houses. Um, this year, we went to Phasic Tipton for the Night of the Stars sale, which was really cool because I had never been to a sale before. It was really so, great that you shared that, though, on our social media with everyone. Yeah. And I'm actually going to go through and archive all that um, and save all of those. So if anyone would like to relive that little Kentucky weekend, um, I'll put all that content there right at the top of the page so everybody will be able to find it. So yeah, we did like a little bit of everything. It was like my grand Kentucky weekend. So uh, we didn't get to meet Flightline, but I, we did kind of like peep him through his stall window on the outside of the barn. And I was like, oh my God, still a cool experience. So, I mean, what a historic yeah. Breeders' Cup, yes. honestly. Like, yeah. And we uh, we got there early. So we got there before the sun came up um, and walked from parking to the track in the dark. Um, and then got our spots on the rail. Like we had it strategically planned that we were going to get there super early and carve out some rail spots. And then there was three of us. So only one of us could go at a time to, you know, go get a drink or a snack or go to the bathroom while two people held the spot at the rail. Um, like, uh, so we were a little crazy. Concerts are about to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. It was kind of the same concept, but like we were right there. We were close to the wire. So we got to watch all the exciting finishes of all the races. And then of course, see the horses all come back. Um, after the race and then see them all parade by one more time with their champion cooler on, on their way to the barn. So it's a really, really neat experience to be there. So highly recommend it. If you get to go, you know, going with a fancy box, you know, up in the 
the uh, non-cheap seats is always a cool experience. But if you can go for general admission and get that spot at the rail, like you can feel the horses go by and it is 100% worth it. So I'm going to definitely be calling you as uh, my boyfriend's family has expressed. They want to go next year to at least either the Derby or Breeders' Cup. They want to go to either one. I was like, okay, well, we'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, I've never been to the Derby, so... That might be uh, our next adventure, but Breeders' Cup is just so cool because every race is a championship race, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, you know horses. That's in my every personal race, preference. So. They really yeah. want to go to the Derby, and I get it because they're non-horse people. It's a, sure. it's the one they're familiar with, and I'm like, no, Breeders' Cup's the way to go. They don't yeah. know. They just don't know. <laughs> yes, ten out of ten recommend. Do the Breeders love Cup, it, so. love it. Well, I love all this energy because we have. Very exciting energy. We just talked about Breeders' Cup. We talked about Flightline. We have a lot of exciting things coming in this episode, too. We're going to be talking about the new broodmare division for the Thoroughbred Makeover, which I'm already seeing a lot of people get pretty excited about on oh, yeah. social media. So much excitement. So can't wait to hear more about that. We're going to be talking about careers in the Thoroughbred industry. And of course, you know, I'm a sucker for an adoptable horse, and this one's going to be a cutie. I took a sneak peek already. But before we dive into all of that, we're going to hear from our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. If you've ever had a horse with diarrhea, you know what a frustrating problem it can be. Finding an ingredient that works to dry up the diarrhea becomes a high priority. It turns out that researchers have found one, a yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. It has been proven to improve and halt episodes of diarrhea. It supplies specific nutrients to the lining of the small and large intestines, and these nutrients promote healing of irritated tissues. It also supports improved starch and sugar digestion in the small intestine, reducing the opportunity for imbalances to occur in the hindgut. Nalox Advanced, made by Kentucky Performance Products, contains Saccharomyces boulardii, along with a blend of fermentation solubles and stomach buffers. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of any age that are suffering from diarrhea. It also supports a healthy digestive tract in horses at risk for gastric or colonic ulcers, such as performance horses or any horse that is constantly on the go and exposed to stressful situations. For best results, Nalox Advanced should be fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. So big news in RRP land, as well as all of Thurbert Aftercare this week, uh, when the Retired Racehorse Project announced it was adding a broodmare division as the pilot program for 2023. So we're really excited to have with us today uh, the RRP's Executive Director, Kirsten Green. She's been on the show before. Kirsten, welcome back. Thanks, as always, for having me. So super excited, of course, because I work for the RRP, so I knew this was coming. But uh, (laughs) the broodmare division, of course, kind of like hit the airwaves last week and people are super excited about it. So tell us a little bit about what this pilot program is and why we added it. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, we are so excited by the response that we got. We didn't realize 
I mean, we realized that it was an underserved population, but we are really blown away by um, the overwhelming response that we've gotten. So really excited to seeing what this pilot year ends up looking like next year. But um, broodmares are something that have been in conversation for the last couple of years. I think when you come up with a winning model that's like proven to work and make a meaningful contribution to how horses are transitioning from the racing industry, like it has, you know, all of the parts that it needs to be applied uh, to broodmares. And, you know, I think for us over the years, we just, you know, felt like we've got enough on our plates trying to get this event to run and hum really well. And like, this is, like our focus right now is on horses that are coming off the racetrack. And that is the area that is like seeing the most need. But, you know, I think it's a testament to, you know, to put a little bit of a feather in our cap, like our organization has always had a really good track record of like listening in in conversation and seeing what people need from us um, and making adjustments as needed. And so I think, you know, our um, being ready to take on broodmares is, part of that, you know, being able to go out and have a conversation uh, with people, you know, in the breeding industry that are, you know, need an outlet to move on their broodmares that still have, you know, plenty of serviceable years as riding horses. We've just been able to kind of look at the situation and say, well, they're not exactly like the original population that we serve, but the the fundamentals are still there. So um, here we are, we thought, thought it through and figured out how we can kind of have them benefit from the existing competition and still have their own track that kind of meets the needs of that particular population. Right. Cool. So, you know, if someone's bringing a broodmare to the makeover, are they competing completely separately? Like, is it like a special, like, you know, maybe they only jump two foot or do are they just sort of in with like general population of horses? Like how does the actual competition part, what's that going to look like? So the way it's going to work is, our, our paperwork is broken out into a couple of different processes. And the first process that we look at is the trainer application. So we're looking at the human participants of the event and trying to make a reasonable decision. Does this person have the, the resources and the skill set to transition a horse successfully, um, you know, from the racing industry into its next career? And although physically the requirements are going to be a little bit different, the fundamentals of like horsemanship and care and training um, are going to be very similar. So we have a very um, like robust and com- comprehensive trainer application process that looks at their skill set. So that's going to be the first thing. And then from there, we give the trainers the discretion to decide what they think their horse is best suited for. So we don't expect that we're going to see a lot of broodmares, um, you know, maybe running cross country or barrels, maybe some of the younger ones that maybe never caught, but we also expect that we'll see some horses that, you know, are over 10 years old and, you know, maybe on their way to 20 that would be very happy to do a dressage test or competitive trail. So you know, when we've done the work to verify, we've looked at the trainer's capabilities, we've looked at their vet references, we're going to give them the leeway to decide what they think is appropriate for the horse. And then all of the horses, whether or not they are like the kind of original eligibility or the retiring broodmare eligibility are all going to be subject to the arrival exam that everybody goes through. Um, All of the horses are subject to that when they arrive at the horse park in October. So, we have multiple controls in place to make sure that the horses that 
are um, preparing for this event and are ultimately participating in the event are going to be there and appropriate and are going to be comfortable and having a good time. So aside from that, like pretty much everything is the same process, same tests, same paperwork, same divisions and all that sort of thing, but just separate results. So because the the nature of the two horses is eligibility is going to be different and, you know, kind of where their starting point is, is, is going to be different. Um, we're solving for that by having them compete for separate results, separate pot of prize money. Mm, nice. And I like that that's, you know, that's on the trainers as horsemen to make that decision and not just, you know, the RRP saying you can or can't do this. You know, it's, it is up to the individual horse and the individual trainer. So I think that's a, yeah. a pretty key point there. So Nice. So what makes a mare eligible herself to compete in the broodmare division? Like, how are you defining that population? Yeah, so we're looking for broodmares that are transitioning out of the thoroughbred breeding industry. And the way that we're going to be verifying that is looking at their produce record. So for the pilot year, that means that um, mares will have had a report of a cover or live full um, within the two years leading up to the 2023 makeover. So that's going to be the 2021 or 2022 breeding season. They have that report of cover or report of live full. Um, so that's that's the first criteria. Like this is how we're defining like a broodmare that is ready to transition. Um, and then they do have to have one lifetime start just to kind of categorize them as like they were racehorse at one point because were the retired racehorse project and they cannot have shown. So no like prior competition experience. Um, we do have some concession for like in hand, like breed suitability, stud book uh, evaluations and stuff like that. That's all detailed in our rule book. So we do have some concession for that. Um, and they're not subject to the 15 ride limit that the um, retiring racehorse eligibility is subject to because there's just, it's such a broad range. Um, you know, you could have horses that, you know, are still very young and like might even qualify in both, uh, eligibility classes, um, all the way up to horses that, you know, are in their upper teens. And so that's just, it's too broad of a range to try to enforce that. And, uh, we just didn't feel that it was realistic to try to impose that on this particular group, which is another reason why we went with a separate class of competition because it just, it wasn't a fair and even uh, comparison between the two. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because like a broodmare could be ridden theoretically a bunch and has more I was going to ask riding like, background. Yeah. But then like I have you know, a mare, horses. I chose to breed her and obviously she raced, but I have shown her previously. So that would make her ineligible for this right. particular division. Yeah. And I mean, I think as an organization, like we were proud to say that we have have made a proven impact on aftercare and part of, you know, looking at the broodmare population is like, you know, any organization that is going to continue to grow and evolve its service and evolve its programming, like needs to look at where they're going to expand. And I think we're always going to be focused on, you know, service to the thoroughbred breed. And this is just kind of the progression of that. So I'm interested to see, you know, what the the pickup ends up being and, and what the response ends up being. And, um, you know, it's a good sign for the organization, you know, to be able to kind of evolve what we're doing too. Yeah, I think this sure. is 
pretty brilliant as well because mares have that extra that extra set of grit in a way where they can have three careers in their lives and hopefully this even even if you have a mare who's not eligible to be in the thoroughbred makeover it may give some people consideration that after breeding or if they see a brood mare who's eligible for adoption they won't not pat like they won't pass her by they're like, well, this is just yeah. a broodmare horse. Because I, I do feel like that happens of, well, this horse would make a great broodmare. And that's immediately all you think they can do. And they can obviously do a lot more. Yeah. I mean, so much of how we see broodmares marketed comes hand in hand with like an implication that they're not sound. But we know that that's not nece- necessarily the case. Um, so if we can make a contribution that helps to dispel some of that and just put, helps to put something on a mare's resume, like, that is the space where we can help right now. So we're happy to do it. Yeah. That is kind of something unique to the thoroughbred world, right? Where like you would have a perfectly sound, you know, athletic mare and she's done racing and you know, it, it just isn't an occurrence to anybody to take her into sport. You know, if her pedigree is fabulous and her auction page is great, you know, or her offsprings page would be good. Like she goes to the breeding shed and that's just what happens. So yeah, this is kind of adding a brand new element to how we look at thoroughbred mares in particular. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really does speak to, you know, the thoroughbred needs to be like better documented and better celebrated for its contributions to sport. And I think that there is a little layer of that here as well. You know, another opportunity for us to stay to the racing industry, like there is demand for your horses in sport to make contributions to sport, like keep this kind of like additional market in mind when you're looking for, you know, making plans for your horses throughout the course of their life. It's almost like a self-limiting thought as well when you're like, this mare was a great racehorse, so I need her to go breed other great racehorses. When in truth, if you can show that this horse has great capabilities as a sport horse, that only, to me, doubles the investment if you invest into that. Absolutely. So So what are some other considerations for trainers, you know, who are maybe hearing about this and are like, this is awesome. I'm going to go out and get a brood mare. Like what kinds of horses should they be looking for? Is there any, you know, type in particular that you think is well suited to the makeover? Um, Or, you know, if it's a mare and it's a brood mare and it qualifies, go ahead and get it and see what happens. (laughs) Like, what would you suggest for people? Yeah. I mean, I think that they're, we're automatically going to think first to the horses that are on the younger end that might've had repro issues, um, you know, where they just never took in the first place. And so, you know, they're probably still fairly, you know, maybe they're four or five or six or something like that. Um, and, and that's the kind of, for lack of a better word, low hanging fruit, but I really, uh, through support from the ASPCA reimagining racers initiative of which, you know, this program, uh, is being initiated through a grant from the ASPCA. There's other programs out there that are focusing on thoroughbred uh, broodmares as well. Um, I know Friends of Ferdinand as well as Second Stride in Kentucky have uh, programs that are specific to broodmares um, that would have um, uh, some of the mares that, you know, are kind of that somewhat more special population. Maybe they're up there a little bit more in age. Um, and I think that that is a great place to look, you know, those aftercare organizations will have had those horses in their programs and have evaluated them and have some history on them. Um, and another space that you can look at, and a lot of people on the sport horse side don't necessarily think to look at is the thoroughbred sales. 
in this time of year, you know, of course, these sales are kind of winding down at this point, but there's nothing that excludes anybody from going to one of those sales and looking at the uh, breeding stock that is available that might not have like a ton of commercial interest on the racing side, but could be very viable um, on the sport horse side. So that's another place that people can look as well. And they're not all like, you know, seven figure horses. Like I recently attended yeah. the phasing sale and was like, woo, cool. I got to watch a horse sell for $8 million. That was neat. But uh, there's also horses going for like low four figures, you know, at comparable prices to horses right off the track too. So yeah, yeah that's a great point. Go right to the source. Yeah. Maybe don't bring, you know, enough money to buy gaming. That was crazy. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, neat. Okay. So what are some upcoming dates that trainers should keep in mind if they're interested in getting involved with the next thoroughbred makeover for 2023? Yeah. So winter is an exciting time, you know, the kind of running joke after the makeover is like, Oh yeah. Like you're going to sleep for a month. And it's like, no, we're not because we got to do this again in two months because uh, it is a 10 month long uh, training uh, challenge. So um, the first step is committing as a trainer. Like what we need to know in, um, in December and January is if you, the person want to participate in this. Um, if you know who your horse is, great. If you don't know who your horse is, also not a problem. You don't, you have all the way till the end of July to declare your horse. Um, so what we need to know from you right now is, me as a trainer, I want to participate and I think I want to bring this many horses. You can bring up to three. So we're going through trainer application periods. So um, we'll be dropping the rule book, which is the first thing um, early December. We try to make sure that people have all the information that they need uh, before opting in. Uh, so that will be published. And then we open the application, the trainer application for review and drafting uh, December 15th. So that is just an opportunity like you know, hopefully once you've thoroughly read the rule book and all of the resources that are available on our website, you know, you get an opportunity to get in and have a look and start drafting and collecting what you need to give us a good application. Um, so then the submission period for the trainer applications opens immediately after the holidays. So that's going to be January 2nd, and it's open for three weeks. So that takes us up to, I believe, uh, January 20th. Um, so that's the kind of magic window where we we want to be collecting all of our trainer applications. And this is going to be all participating people. So whether or not you are one person bringing one horse, if you are a team, you, like team captains, team members, like all participating people have to complete a trainer application. And then the trainer, like the individual trainer or the team captain will declare how many horses uh, they are planning to bring. Um, and that's a limit of three. So no one person can be affiliated with more than three horses throughout the course of the event in whatever capacity, whether you're on a team or a team captain, an individual trainer, or catch rider, what have you, like three is the limit because there's only like mathematically only so many ways we can make ride times work. So that's, that's the cap. So those are, and then we close those applications January 20th. Uh, we announce acceptances February 15th. So we do accept uh, late trainer applications, uh, depending on what capacity is like. If they're at a, a steeper rate because we would prefer to handle that process all in the winter. Um, so that's going to be your focus point in the near term. Like if you are thinking you want to do this, don't worry so much about who are your horses. If you don't have that sorted out just yet, just commit to the process and you can have more time if needed 
to select and declare your horses. Nice. And then training can start December 1st, even if you don't know if you're accepted yet for yeah, the next that's the makeover. big one. And thanks for reminding that's like happy makeover training day is December 1st. So that's like when everybody can start training their horses in earnest. The 15 ride limit comes off uh, for the traditional eligibility group and away we go. And then, yeah, you can start getting those broodmares to horse shows then at first too. So everybody can hit the ground running. Cool. Well, exactly. thanks very much, Kirsten, for joining us. Uh, where can people go to find more information about the makeover and the work of the Retired Resource Project? Yeah, so vrrp.org. And we do have a couple of pages on the website specifically. Um, you know, if you're uh, somebody in the racing industry that wants to understand more about how the makeover is relevant to you, we have a page in our 101 educational library. And then we have a want to apply page, which has a lot of information about like putting together a good video, what's going to be required in the application process and that sort of thing. So good places to start. Um, and the rule book will be posted up there um, in the next week or two as well. And of course, listeners, if you are applying to the Thoroughbred Makeover, definitely drop me or Joy a note because we would love to cheer you on. Kirsten, Absolutely. thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited to hear about the Broodmare Division and see how it goes in 2023. Yeah, likewise. We'll be back to talk about it for sure. Well, I'm here with Tony from Cashel. You all know it from the ads you hear all the time on this show. But we're at the trade show, and this is the point of time in the year where we find out what's new coming out. So what's Cashel have new coming out? Oh, we've got a, a great lineup of uh, 32, 34 wool top pads. So t- describe them. Uh, five different colors, real vibrant, bright, sharp looking pads. What, are the, what makes them different? Well, it's the fill, the the... The wool felt on the inside is a natural felt, and the fleece on the bottom is a 100% merino. Oh, really? Okay. So these are soft and squishy pads. Well, not real squishy, but soft, and and they do absorb shock and and saddle fit. What would they retail for? What are those? That's about 119. That's the right price. Yeah. Anything else new with Cashel coming out? Oh, we've got uh, more saddle pads coming in the fall. A new strap line coming in the fall. It's a a two tone that looks great with a a great buckle set on it. There's we're always in development, so there's so many things projects in the works. What's still your most popular product? Is it still always the same things year after year? Uh, fly. You bet. Yeah. Fly, fly that's what we all do. That's how I knew you in the first place was fly. Fly masks. Yep. Yeah. Many years ago, uh, we were primarily fly masks and kind of had some tush cushions and a few odds and ends. Today, we've broadened that offering to saddlebags, uh, strap, head stalls, breast collars, bell boots, um, leg protection, and the, the it continues to grow. Is there a place where somebody can go and see all the products? Cashelcompany.com will give you a good offering. There you go. Well, thank you, Tony. It's been fun seeing you again. Hey, thank you. Good to see you. Well, I'm super excited to welcome our next guest, Kristen. We are joined by Anise Montblazer. She is the co-founder and president of Amplify Horse Racing. And for those who have been listening to the show for quite some time, you may remember Anise from episode 45 when we first got to hear about Amplify and the great work that they do. But they were in their infancy at that time, and a lot has changed since we last spoke with her. So we wanted to bring her back to the show. Welcome back, Anise. Thank you, Joy. And thank you, Kristen, for having me back on. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. And I love that we got to meet in person at the Thoroughbred Makeover. Well, 
technically Keeneland, but during thoroughbred makeover time, it felt like meeting a longtime friend. Yes, that things like that, like just those coincidental meetings when you're not expecting it. And then all of a sudden you meet someone you've been talking to for a while. I just love it. And so, yeah, that was really fun. Amplify was hosting a small event out at Keeneland um, that kind of overlapped with the Retired Racehorse Project, where we invited makeover friends and participants out to Keeneland to watch morning training and, you know, provide some of that education and insight into the racing side of the thoroughbreds career. So, you know, answering some of the questions that RRP participants might have about what their uh, former racehorses experienced when they were at the track. I love it. It was such a fun event too, and had an amazing turnout. So it was great to see so many people come together, support Amplify, and also come support all the horses who were doing their breezes in the morning, which is, it's such a great experience. Keeneland really is to me, like the Disneyland of the horse world, if you had to get involved with it. So um, beautiful yeah. there. Yeah. It, it yeah. is. Highly recommended. <laughs> um, so Anise, I'd love for anyone who's new and hasn't heard you talk about Amplify. I'd love you to give a quick snapshot of what Amplify horse racing is about. Yeah. Amplify horse racing is a 501c3 nonprofit that promotes education and careers in the thoroughbred industry to youth and young adults. So basically we want to serve as step one for uh, any of those youth out there who are interested in getting more involved in the thoroughbred industry and show them the different pathways and resources and educational programs that are out there. And then we also offer a lot of resources and programs. So the name Amplify comes from the fact that we want to amplify existing programs and initiatives that are already doing great work. And then we fill in the gaps and uh, enhance different programs along the way. I love it. I love it. And it, it's such a great initiative, especially to try to get young people into the horse racing careers and seeing how many opportunities. It's more than just being an owner, a breeder, or a jockey. There's so many different career paths that they can take working with horses and the racing yeah. side of things. Yes, absolutely. A lot of kids and myself included, I was a great representation of this or example of uh, is they think, oh, to work in racing, I can be a jockey or a trainer or a vet, uh, which are all great careers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can also work in accounting or equine insurance or equine law or marketing communications, you know, with stallions. Uh, I could, you know, list careers for the next 15 minutes. So we want to show people that you know, regardless of what their interests are, there is a way of applying it to the thoroughbred industry. And there is a career that they could pursue in that. Absolutely. I think in a lot of ways, the thoroughbred industry, despite being about horses, it very much is a reflection of a corporate job. There's so many moving parts to it and there's something for everyone at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's such, it's such a unique world. And I think part of what drew me to it when I was starting to become interested in racing was um, the people. Like I really mm -hmm. loved the people. And so, you know, just talking about those jobs, thinking about jockey, trainer, vet, I started out wanting to be a jockey. Actually, first it was veterinarian and then I wanted to be a jockey, but I then ultimately kind of got into journalism and communications because I loved the stories and mm -hmm 
all of the different aspects of the industry. And it's also so global. I could list off a ton of different countries right now that you could travel to and go watch horse racing. And there's such a connection there when you meet another horse person in general, and then definitely amongst racing people, when they meet, it's like, oh my gosh, you like racing? I do too. And then it's just that immediate bond and commonality. It's so true. I was in France actually um, back in 2019 and I went to watch the horse races in Marseille and it's, it's the same passion, the same energy. It gives you that you know easy talking point when you're meeting new people. And it, it very much is a global sport, which I'm very appreciative of and to see the similarities and differences across countries. So let's see, we've talked to you back in 2020, Amplify just about had a year, I think, of existence when we first met. What has changed since then? Because I'm sure a lot. I mean, we got through a pandemic together and a questionable economy and lots of things were happening on that end. But it also seems like you've had a lot of growth on your business side. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So, you know, looking back, it was so crazy because we Amplify started as a grassroots organization in 2019. And you know, as I was looking at our timeline from when we had our last podcast episode, um, that would have been shortly after we uh, officially incorporated as a nonprofit and got our 501c3, which is, you know, pandemic, a great time to start a nonprofit. Um, <laughs> but it allowed us to think more about the accessibility piece and how we were reaching youth in different parts of the U.S. that you wouldn't immediately think of as horse racing or thoroughbred breeding. And so, you know, like a lot of people, we focused on our virtual outreach, which we've continued and bolstering our social media. So I think at the time that we spoke, you know, that's basically what we were doing was some virtual programming, some social media, and then just thinking about what what we wanted to be going forward. And so shortly after that episode, I started a role uh, with the Kentucky Equine Education Project Foundation, the Keep Foundation here in Lexington, Kentucky, as their equine education coordinator. And so part of my position was to work on Amplify. They basically have served as an incubator for Amplify to get going So for the last two years, I've been able to work with them, you know, work with an organization that's already in existence as Amplify, you know, work to establish programming. So early on, as Amplify was getting going, and as I was working on, you know, the the original mission with my co-founder, the something that we really wanted to create was a mentorship program. So Amplify was kind of started or kind of came out of my a business plan that I did for the Godolphin Flying Start program. So that's a two-year international um, thoroughbred industry management program. And to wrap it up, you basically have to do a capstone project, which is a business plan. So Amplify had already started. We already had the idea for it, but we needed to hone down what we were actually going to do to serve youth and young adults in, you know, in the industry or those who wanted to get involved. And so there was a whole customer discovery process where, you know, I had to speak to a lot of people to figure out 
well, how, how have people who are working in the industry, how have they gotten involved? What resources made it easiest for them? What do young people actually want as a resource, as a connector to get involved? And then how can we create that? And so it became evident that mentorship, which it was a huge piece of people, especially those who didn't grow up in the industry, uh, it was a big connector for how they were able to get involved, where they ended up meeting the right person. Uh, that person, you know, kind of took them under their wing, opened doors, created opportunities, educated them, served as a friend. And, you know, we've, we've all had mentors at different points in our careers. And one mentor can open up five doors for somebody and, you know, introduce you to way more people. So we wanted to formalize this mentorship connection process. And that was where in 2021, I guess it was June of 2021, we officially launched this mentorship program that we created based on the elements of effective practice for mentoring. So we followed the best practices of mentoring. (laughs) We went through a whole consultation process with a consultant uh, to support us in developing this program for, you know, what is a very niche industry. And so that has grown into um, starting in 2022, we're expanding the offering to 15 to 25 year olds, whereas previously it was just for young adults over 18. So now high school youth are going to be able to apply and participate. It's a hybrid program. So they can work with their mentor either virtually or in person or a combination of both. There's no limitations to where a youth is based. It's open to people in the US, US territories and Canada. Uh, and then they're paired with a mentor based on, you know, compatible interests, proximity, you know, ideally, if there is a mentor that we have in our system that lives close to the person they'll be mentoring, we want to pair them up. And then they work together for over the course of three months to create basically an educational and training plan for that young person to figure out what their next steps are in the industry. So our ideal candidate would be, you know, maybe a young person that has always been interested in thoroughbred racing or has some curiosity about it, wants to get involved, doesn't know how, they can come to our program as that first step, be paired with somebody who's, you know, already very experienced in it and can help that young person develop their knowledge and understanding of what their pathway needs to look like to get further involved. So that was a very long-winded explanation of the mentorship program and how it came to be. But applications for mentees are going to reopen on January 2nd of 2023. Uh, We're going to do two application periods next year. So one for the spring and the other for the fall. But mentors can apply anytime. We have a mentorship application form on our website. And I encourage mentors from all aspects of the industry uh, you know, frequently I have mentors say, well, I don't work hands-on with horses. You know, can I still be a mentor? And the answer is yes. You know, whether you're involved in communications, media, accounting, you know, even if you're a groom, a trainer, whatever your involvement is in the industry, if you meet the criteria that we have laid out for mentors, you know, we would love for you to participate in the program. 
I love this. And I wish that this was around when I was like mm-hmm. high school, college age, because <laughs> I remember going through, you know, this conversation with my family and then high school guidance counselors and even through undergrad where, you know, we had a very vibrant equestrian program. Cause this is basically the same track as the, you know, general horse industry where the belief is that like you can train, you can teach, you can vet. And that's yeah. kind of it, you know, <laughs> in reality, there's all these, you know, supporting peripheral not even peripheral, but just, you know, supporting positions where you can still keep horses in your life, you know, working in where you're good at, you know, where your skills are. So, you know, I'm also a communications marketing type person. So that's what I'm doing. So yeah, gosh, I wish this was around (laughs) when I was just thinking that Kristen, I was like, cause I I had the same thoughts as Anise back in the day of, if you wanted to be in the horse industry, you can be a trainer, you can be a jockey, you can be a vet. Right. And that's, or you like yeah. work in the you bar on the as Olympic labor, team. like yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. It felt yeah, yeah. very short-sighted of what you could actually do. And there's really you can do whatever you want to do. There's something for everyone. Right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also helping to fight that you know sort of belief. Once you know your sort of horizons expand and you realize that there is this great big world in the racing and breeding industry, mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of a belief that like if you're not born into it, you can't get into it. So I think the work you guys are doing is really important to help show people like, no, you can get into it. Anybody can get into it, you know, Mm -hmm. but definitely having the network helps. So your mentorship program is like spot on because it is, I think, a little bit of a difficult industry to just like show up with your resume and be like, here I am, please hire me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. We're trying, there are some other ways that we're trying to facilitate this as well. So one of the big projects that, Uh, we were able to do in collaboration with the Keep Foundation was last year we we piloted some of these tours, but things were still a little bit wonky with COVID. Uh, But this year we launched a full equine careers tour series here in Kentucky where we set up, you know, every month we had a free educational tour of a different equine facility or business. They were around two to three hours long. And students could come, high school and college students were what it was primarily geared towards, but we found that parents loved them. Um, The parents got almost as much out of them as their high school students. And, you know, we made sure that these businesses emphasized, you know, these are the different careers that we offer or the jobs that we offer. This is the training that you need. This is what we can provide you in-house. These are some of the internships that we have. And... You know, I'm very hopeful that some of the students who came will get internships or jobs out of those experiences or at least feel uh, like they now have a better understanding of the scope of jobs out there. So that's a program that we're going to continue next year in collaboration with the Keep Foundation. That's great. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't know all those other jobs existed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So one question after, you know, you did that makeover trainer and friends and family day at Keeneland. Um, are you seeing a lot of like interest from people who are involved in aftercare to move into the industry? You know, I think I have to admit this fall has been such a blur that it has been hard to track <laughs> like the, the impact of any given event that we have had mm-hmm. because we've just had such a like an overall outpouring of support and interest. So I'm not sure that we got an influx just based on that one, you know, like one the breakfast event, right. and coffee event, but it's something that it's a space that I definitely 
want us to continue to grow and reach out to because, you know, there are a lot of youth out there that, you know, maybe their only interaction with the thoroughbred industry or with the racing industry is because they have a horse that they got off the track. And, you know, those are, I don't really like using the word low hanging fruit, but for those that we want to engage more with our industry, those should be some of the first youth that we try to engage with because they already know horses. They already, you know, they already love the thoroughbred. Like that's ultimately why we all work in this industry is we love the horse. Um, and that's funny that you call it low hanging fruit, because I think a lot of other aspects of the racing industry don't see it as something worth pursuing. Like I've gotten into this, like sort of Twitter argument, well, not argument, but you know, a Twitter discussion (laughs) on the RRP's handle, you know, where various entities are asking, like, how do we bring in new young fans? And I'm like, you need to engage all these kids all across the country who are riding off track thoroughbreds. Yeah every day and don't, you know, either don't realize it or like know that their horse had a history and they're interested in it. And like, that's where you hook new fans. And some people were like, Oh, never thought of that. And, you know, to me, yeah. that's like, that's a no brainer. Like that, that, that was right. me as a kid. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, it's funny that, you know, you would think of it as low hanging fruit, but I think that that is really an area I think the industry needs to focus on is capture these kids as equestrians that are already interested and just show them that horse racing is another branch of the horse world, you yeah, know, it doesn't yeah. need to be a, this own separate well, and a, sort of a branch that you thing. can make an, make an actual living on. Cause I think that's the other Absolutely. stereotype in the horse world. You know, we're always saying, if you want to become a millionaire in horses, start as a billionaire. And that's probably not a message we should be sharing with people because <laughs> yeah. I, I really do think it, it impacts the amount of youth getting involved in the sport. So if we can show you can make a living, you can do things you love and support a sport that you're obsessed with, I think you're going to see those numbers start to shift. Yeah. And it's something, it's an area that we have identified as, you know, we really want to engage more with the aftercare community and, you know, uh, Aaron O'Keefe and I have already started talking about, you know, next year, how we can expand that morning at Keeneland, you know, the coffee and donuts, like, can we do a full breakfast? Can we do uh, a mini tour or, you know, create kind of a fun little separated off area for all of those people to gather together. So it's an even more, you know, formal event rather than just a casual rock up, grab, grab coffee and, and hang out and ask questions. You know, maybe we can even have a trainer meet and greet, um, something mm-hmm. along those lines so that we continue to stimulate that engagement. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I think that that might be kind of the next, the frontier, you know, to to bring other people in is capture this aftercare crowd and mm-hmm. make them fans of the sport and fans of the sport are more likely to, you know, support the sport and work in the sport. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Love it. Well, Anise, thank you so much for joining us. We are unfortunately out of time because I feel like we could talk forever and make this entire episode about how to get (laughs) involved. That went really quickly. (laughs) It does, unfortunately. It always does. But we'd love to know, I know you're working hard on some plans for 2023. Is there anything that we should look forward to or, you know, continue to follow Amplify on? Yeah. So I will be moving fully into uh, Amplify as executive director in January of 2023. So 
the goal for next year is to expand nationally on a much broader basis, you know, expand the offerings through the mentorship program, have a full travel and engagement schedule, or at least start that engagement with other tracks and states beyond Kentucky. We've done a bit of that in New York and Maryland. Uh, and we're starting the work on uh, kind of a young professional sector of Amplify. So just uh, not even a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was this week, uh, we had our very first young professionals panel and networking event at Keeneland where we you know, brought together some young people that currently work in the industry and invited college students and high school students who just want to explore and ask questions to come together in a really fun event. And uh, there was such an appetite for it and such great feedback that we really see the need to do more with this group and further engaging them. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. And, and we'll start to gradually announce programming for 2023. And if anybody wants to follow us on social media, we're at Amplify Racing on Twitter, at Amplify Horse Racing on Facebook and Instagram. We're on LinkedIn as well. And then you can always get in touch with me at info at AmplifyHorseRacing.org. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Denise. Definitely give them a follow. I personally do. And I enjoy seeing all the work that you're doing. And if anyone's interested in becoming a mentor, if people want to reach out to you and Denise to learn more about the best way to do that, do they just go to Amplify as well? Yep. They can check out the mentorship page on the website, or they can send me an email at info at amplifyhorseracing.org. We're pretty good about um, getting back to people. So yeah, any questions, reach out, let me know and get involved, people. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks again, Anise. I'm sure we'll be back in touch with you soon to continue to follow your journey with Amplify. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Have a great rest of your week. You too. You too. Thanks. Well, Chris, I know I mentioned I wasn't doing like anything super exciting in, in my past couple weeks here, but I did get to help put on a kids showcase at our barn, which was a lot of fun. And it was also a lot of work. Um, I, you know, horse show season was over in my brain and I was not ready to expect horse show hangover. as just a facilitator of a horse show. And I thought I'd ask our listeners who follow us on social media if, if they also get horse show hangover the way I do, because I had to come back and it was only from 8 a.m. to about 1 p.m., but I had to get up at like 6 a.m. and then wrangle kids and parents and all that fun stuff. I had to take a nap, like a legit <laughs> nap when I got back. I was so tired. I was so done with the world. I felt nauseated. And you know what? Most of our listeners feel the same when they come back from horse shows. So most of us are getting a break, except for you Southern folks. Seems like your horse show season is probably about to get started. So I thought I'd share some tips that I learned from Horse Nation on how to overcome your horse show hangover, or maybe just embrace it, accept it. Who knows? So are you ready for these tips, Kristen? I'm ready. So the first one is after you complete your horse show, wake up in the morning after 5.30 and go right to the barn. So 5.30 in the morning, that is fact, everyone. I said it, don't come after me, come after Horse Nation. They are the ones who wrote the article. But I get it. It's kind of like when you travel internationally and you get jet lagged, right? You're not used to getting up at three or four in the morning to go to a horse show unless you're a barrel racer. They are their own breed. And I'm impressed daily that they have the stamina. But 
most of us are not doing that on a regular basis. You're going to be extra tired that you broke up your schedule that way. So it makes sense to kind of stay on that schedule and go to the barn the next day. The same way people who might have an alcoholic hangover have a little bit of alcohol in the morning, like the mimosas or a Bloody Mary. So give it a shot. Go for a fun ride the next day and tell me if it works. The other one they mention is after your first practice ride, ride another horse. So you rode your show horse. You're already overtired. Your muscles hurt. Get on a horse who's not your show horse and just have a fun ride and see if that kind of helps build your tolerance up as you continue on. Maybe you'll be more tired and have the worst horse show hangover, but maybe you'll feel better. I don't really know. I'm not a scientist. What are your thoughts on that one, Kristen? I don't know. I I do find that one. I do find that no matter how poorly I feel in general, like tired or uh, I have a little headache or uh, I just don't feel like riding. By the time I actually get on the horse, I've forgotten and I feel fine. That's kind of how I so feel like. you're going to get like that, that endorphin yeah. rush. And I think it would make you feel better to have like a fun ride on, you know, maybe your favorite lesson horse or you're like your retired show horse. Who's ever sitting around your friend's horse. Yeah, see, this is how I'm going to justify having four horses so that when I show one, then I can just, I always have another one to ride. Woo, no day off. Great. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Uh, The next one here, which is probably more accurate to how I respond post-horse show, is prepare to go to your work or class armed with coffee and bags under your eyes. Like, you are just accepting your fate. You're owning it. You are rocking the tired raccoon look. And that's okay. So just going in with your coffee or your green tea or whatever gets you energized in the day and try to go to bed early that same night. And then no one's going to know after that. Right. Um, I thought that's like that one. Yeah. Just power through your Monday. Just power through. Yeah. We're all adult amateurs. So, you know. Exactly. Here's one I thought really resonated with your comment when you told me just to drink some water. And I was like, thanks, mom. Like you're honestly, you're probably right. Most of us are probably dehydrated. So tip number four was take quick power naps between your classes and also drink water and have a snack. Pack snacks, everyone. Do not rely on horse show food. It's donuts in the morning and it's either like chili in a Fritos bag or (laughs) maybe if you're lucky, someone's making you hot dogs and hamburgers. Most amateurs are not going to the A circuit shows where they have the food carts and all that stuff. Like the full food service. And even that, don't trust those for the most part. They're not going to give you a nutritious meal full of protein to get you power through the day. You have to bring your own stuff. Look, I have a counter to that though, because Eric and I, like we were horse showing on the cheap all year. And then the last two shows, we started treating ourselves to a shared order of chicken fingers on Sunday. And those were the best damn chicken fingers I've ever had. I think, but you're getting your protein. It's not a funnel cake, Kristen. Oh, like, don't know. We'll do the I funnel cake funnel next. Cake. Yeah, we'll be like, ooh, funnel cake. Good idea. I know. I know. Everyone loves a good funnel cake, but definitely try to get some naps in when you're not showing. We know that horse shows are hurry up and wait. So while you're waiting, go ahead, take a quick little cat nap, set your timer, get three of your friends who are nearby to ensure they wake you up because you'll probably be more tired and fight your alarm. And then drink water. All of you, Linda, Kathy, Nicole, every single one of you, drink some water. Do it now. Yeah, see, that's the thing, right? Like, I'll tell you, like, Joy, you should really drink more water. And you know what I'm doing at a horse show? Drinking a White Claw all the time, like, nonstop. So I yeah, really it's really at- the self-sabotage <laughs> thing that horse girls do. I, it's impressive. Fine. And then last but not least, 
which I thought this one was strange, but I guess it kind of makes sense, is washing your show clothes like the next day. Mm. So taking a cleansing ritual that allows you to rinse out the mistakes you made over the weekend. I This is their words, not mine. I hope you all win. I'm cheering for you. And start the next show on a clean slate. So I like also, that as like a, you know, a metaphorical. Yeah. I, like you know, nice and I'm sitting ritual. here watching it snow and realizing I still haven't actually cleaned out the tack room of the trailer. I've cleaned and winterized the horse part, but I definitely still have an air mattress that's fully made up to sleep in, in the trailer. So I should probably add that to my post show. That's probably a good one to have in there. That's probably a good one to have in there. So I would love to hear what people have for their horse show hangover cures. I got to be honest. Mine is getting a nap. I love the sleep, especially if you've been out in the sun. So I'd recommend bringing a hat and sunglasses. Definitely wear sunglasses. Everybody bring your sunscreen, but try to stay out of the sun. It makes you so tired the next day and, uh, coffee the next day. That, that's mine. Sleeping, yeah. staying out of the sun, and coffee are my recommendations. So I'm going to try some of these next show season for sure. Sounds like you need a second horse so you can ride the other horse on Monday. Do that one. I, I'm just going to borrow the Lesson Kids horses. There you go. No, they'll be fine. They'll, I can keep up with that in a horse show hangover. So let us know what you guys do. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, shoot us a message and, you know, who knows, maybe we'll share your remarkable scientifically proven pace <laughs> to get through a horse show hangover. All right, retired racehorse radio listeners. Uh, just a reminder, we have a special code for you guys to use at the Retired Racehorse Project shop. Uh, so if you guys want some new OTTB gear for the holidays, either for yourself or for gift giving, head over to the rrp.org shop. Uh, there's a whole brand new array of items uh, that were not there the last time we aired this commercial. Uh, use code RRRADIO10 to save 10% on your order. This episode is coming out on Black Friday, and there may be some special RRP Black Friday deals as well. So head over to the rrp.org shop and get started today. All that OTTB RRP logo wear is there ready for browsing. They've got stuff in both English and Western, stuff for your horse, stuff for your dog, all sorts of cool stuff to take a look at. Don't forget, place your order by December 11th if you would like on-time holiday shipping. Well, it's that time of the episode where we speak with our fabulous friends from New Vocations. And today we are joined by Winnie Morgan Nemeth to talk on the standard bread side of things. Welcome back to the show, Winnie. Hi. It is so great to have you. I have just loved learning more about standard breads, especially as we have recently adopted one. So selfishly, it's very nice to have you here on the show with us. <laughs> uh, Good. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> yes. It, it's been a great use of information for both me and my mom as we have never owned a standard bread before. We also have Kristen, of course, too, who's helpful on that regard. <laughs> but uh, I guess. <laughs> I have a, another training question to ask you. Well, sort of training, more about on the aftercare side of things. What are some common post-racing career injuries that you may see in standard brides coming off the track? We are pretty familiar with some of the ones we see from thoroughbreds, but I, I don't know many about standard brides. So, yeah, that is a very good question. I would say our two most common injuries that we see um, and why horses would retire um, from the track would be suspensory, whether that's in front or behind, and a sesamoid injury. Um, the suspensory, I think, is just, again, that's a pretty common one. 
Um, the horses, as I mentioned before, our tracks are quite a bit different than a thoroughbred track. So the injuries are a little bit different, but um, most suspensories that come in are not um, terribly, you know, torn suspensories. You might see a bone tendon, you know, definitely very rehabable type of things. The same as with the sesamoid. Thankfully, standardbreds have really, really great feet. So issues that we see like in quarter horses and thoroughbreds like with navicular, we do not see that in uh, standardbreds at all. Um, it's just very, very rare. So, but that sesamoid does take some pounding, obviously. And so, you know, if they, um, you know, fracture that or have a, a small break that will um, usually heal, you know, but they do have to be on a bit of stall rest and that can be a matter, depending on how it looks, um, just a couple of months and the same with the suspensory. It just depends on where and when and how it happened and then a little bit of rehab time and they're usually really good to go. So that's really optimistic for someone who's thinking about adopting a next racehorse and maybe be slightly intimidated of getting a thoroughbred for whatever their reasons may be. One of them is they do sometimes come with little nips and chips and all those things that happen, but it sounds like the standard breads come off typically pretty clean. They do. And I think it speaks to their longevity. You know, as we were just talking, your standard breads can race once a week. So they could, could race, you know, 52 times in a year. A uh, thoroughbred does not race every week, you know, they might race maybe every month, every other month. So again, I think that just really shows the difference between the two breeds. The standard red, very hardy. It's a tough horse, um, very sturdy horse. So that's why they can race that way. And they can race up until their 14th year. So um, with this time of year uh, being the middle of November, I just had a chat with an owner with a horse that's 14 and raced his entire life that will be coming to new vocations after December 31st. Oh, so something to look forward to in the new year. Another <laughs> new horse coming. Very yes. exciting. But I, I will say having a standard bread at home, and I have my thoroughbred, I always like to say, like, knock on wood, I've gotten very lucky. She's got great hooves, very easy to care for. Like, I haven't had mm-hmm. a lot of the same woes that I sometimes hear from people who have adopted them. Um, Mm -hmm. But looking at our standard bread, like he is built like a workhorse. And it's so obvious to me that he's he's very stoic and easygoing. And uh, he's definitely made to like have a job all the time. My thoroughbred looks like she's here for cuddles and stuff, which is great. (laughs) She's very athletic and a great, uh, great sport horse all in all. But you can tell like when she wants days off and when she doesn't compared to my standard bread who's looking outside, like, what are we doing today? Come mm-hmm. tell me what yeah. I'm doing today. <laughs> Very typical. <laughs> yes, yes. Great Winnie, maybe you find this a little bit too. Sometimes that standard bread stoicism, you just have to like almost keep an extra eye on them too because mm-hmm. they are so like stoic. So. They're like, I'm fine. And you're like, no, I think you might be injured, <laughs> you know, buddy. Because <laughs> yes. like my guy yeah. he came in one day and he had put a giant cut on a leg and he was like, no, I'm good. We can still go ride. I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I need to doctor right. this. <laughs> so... So the standard reds are extremely stoic, and I think a lot of people um, see that and experience that. Uh, again, I think it comes from their their wisdom that they have and their time at the track, uh, you know, being worked with every day. Um, but they overall, like their mental and physical capabilities, I just think make them extremely professional and and stoic, especially those that have raced a lot. 
professional is a great way to describe them. That is like very agree. much how they approach their life. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so well, speaking of professional, I'm looking at the our... words right out of my mouth, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy, this, this person is a professional. I'm looking at our adoptable horse of the week, Better's Delight, who already has a horse show under his belt. Tell us a little bit more about him, Winnie. He looks awesome. Yes. So um, his name is Betting Exchange. He is by Better's Delight, oh, um, who yes. I will say is probably one of my most favorite pacing studs ever. Uh, whenever I get the opportunity to have a Better's Delightful, um, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> They're handsome, just like Betting Exchange. They usually come with a great resume. Um, he you know, earned almost a million dollars in just 168 starts, which is really nothing for a standard bread. Um, he raced on the East Coast. So he was racing uh, where, one, all the money is, and two, where the toughest horses were. Um, he came from a great Grand Circuit stable has been well cared for um, majority of his life and arrives like eager to learn his new job. And as you can see, he went to a horse show um, with our trainer, Bridget, and um, just was fantastic. He did a couple walk track classes and he won some ribbons and seems to have transitioned really, really well. So he is, is available and ready for his family. He's so super cute. cute under saddle. I'm watching his video of him trotting around and I could easily see him like eventually getting into, you know, amateur hunter someday. He just has that nice self carriage and easygoing face. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So definitely. Um, he retired due to a suspensory injury, which he had had um, a couple other suspensory issues and other legs. So they decided, you know, they would stop with him with the career that he's had and he was fully rehabbed by um, the trainer. And mm-hmm. so um, I have a great relationship with the rehab farm uh, in New Jersey where a lot of these guys end up. And so when they called, they were like, he's ready to go. And I'm like, Oh, I'm ready to have him." So yeah, he just came right in and um, was very, you know, again, he knew his job of driving very well. He was a little, our first ride, a little unsure. And then after the second ride, he, he was like, Oh, I got this figured out. <laughs> so he's just been really easy. And, uh, he is that very professional horse. Like he's there to work. And, um, but we can also see like, he's going to bond with somebody, uh, with ever, whoever that person's going to be, he will, he's going to bond with them. Very cool. He looks really sweet. And I personally, I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about color and shopping for color. I like a black bay. I really do. Cause mm-hmm. in the winter they look pitch black, they're stunning. And then the summer they get those lovely dapples. So all year long, he's just going to look very stunning. He's got this cute kind of, it's not a full on blaze, but it's like mm-hmm. a little mini blaze. So he's just got that touch of chrome to make you look at him a little longer. He's a very cute horse. And dapples. Yeah. Boy, he is beautiful. He's got lots of dapples. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's super yes. handsome, guys. You got to check this one out. Yes. Yeah, he is. I just, I love him. Oh, and he's only 10. So, which I mean, Great for a standard bread is relatively young. So yeah. <laughs> for, it seems Three, to be for the ones I've come across. 16 hand mark, but you know, which goes into everything about him being beautiful and talented and being this really successful racer. Of course, he's going to come at it a very astronomical price of $1,500 worth $1,500. You can have this champion in your bard ready to give you love and cuddles all Christmas long. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's a steal. Um, and our Christmas special will be coming up here real soon too. So 
people pretty much know about that. It's half off. Um, and it's going to start on November 21st. Okay. So it is underway right now, everyone. So if you're looking for a horse, can't promise you Tank will still be here. You're going to have to move quick if you want to get a look at Tank, also known as Betting Exchange. But they always have great horses at New Vocations. Check out horseadoption.com. Check them out. Get your applications in if you're considering looking. And yeah, tag us when you adopt them. We want to know who's adopted and how they're doing. We'd love to share your stories. So Winnie, thank you so much again for joining us and bringing us another great standard bread and some training tips. And we look forward to seeing you at our holiday episode. I believe that's the next one we have you at. Awesome. Great. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. I can be found on Instagram at The Horseback Writer and on Twitter at Kristen Kovach. My email is kbentley at the rrp.org. Keep those ideas coming for future episodes. We are keeping a super great list and we are going to tackle a lot of those in the winter. You can find me on Instagram at MissFitMare and my email is joyhorseradionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company, and to our media partners, New Vocations Adoption Program and Retired Racehorse Project. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And add more leg. Bye, guys.